0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the beautiful inland Pacific Northwest of the United States, of course. Today is the 30th of June 2020, and I'm going to be continuing our arc of discussions on proteases and protease inhibitors and on disease, particularly focusing on cancer, but where it's relative to other pathophysiological responses that have an overlap in the given designation of proteases and protease inhibitors. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because uh, I try to um, discover relatively misunderstood or under-investigated frameworks in biochemistry that nevertheless function very significantly in clinical biomedicine. And this is one of those areas which I have to admit, it's not a lipid, and you know that I'm a lipid biochemist, which means I'm absolutely not biased about lipids, far from it, of course, as being the most quintessential of all organic molecules um, ever to show up on this wonderful earth we live on. Uh, That's probably not at all related to the fact that I've studied lipids my whole life, but But sometimes I actually do talk about proteins. And I must admit that proteases, yep, they're protein enzymes. And protease inhibitors are, yeah, they're also proteins. You know, so they have a polypeptide backbone, right? And that's really important to understand the significance of how they function in this discussion, particularly because proteases uh, tear apart the peptide bond. And protease inhibitors prevent that from acting like a substrate analog. So uh, with that kind of long prolegomena, let's get started. Again, I'm Dr. Dan Guerra, 30th of June. And what I want to do is remind you very briefly from last time, we talked about the APR. So there are external and internal challenges that constantly happen to uh, animals, in fact, all living organisms. But in this particular discussion, we're only talking about uh, higher animals, mammals, and particularly just humans. And we know that in humans, we have an innate and an acquired immune system. The innate immune system is relatively non-focused in the sense that it's not specific to a given antigen or, say, invading microorganism or infectious agent like a virus. Um, But nevertheless, it is the primary armamentarium to control, first of all, to detect and then diffuse the situation and destroy whatever the stress is. Uh, And the body's response to that stress then will dictate if you go into the next phase of the immune response, which is the acquired immune response. And primarily there we're talking about T lymphocytes and B lymphocytes. And so that brings on this whole new orchestration of a mass of regulation that I've been talking about extensively ever since, uh, well, I mean, for decades, really. But ever since I started authentic biochemistry, we constantly talk about the immune response. And I love to talk about T cells and B cells, because I think they're just more interesting than the innate immune response, which involves also uh, some clever cells, such as the neutrophils, the, the monocyte macrophage lineage, and, of course, my favorite of that lineage. No, they're not the sinophils. They're the dendritic cells, the other favorite ones, because you know why? Because they communicate with T cells, right? And they hang out lymph glands and whatnot. All right, now that may be a bias. The lipid thing definitely not. Um, at any rate, um, this um, APR um, is is this is an organization around dealing with stress, right? And it deals with lots of pathological situations, including, as I said, uh, sometimes microorganisms, sometimes just a cut or a bruise, um, all kinds of things can happen etern- internally, uh, tissue damage and whatnot. And all of these then can trigger the APR. And the APR then has associated with it APPs, which are acute phase proteins. We talked about some of these acute phase proteins being things like proteases. And uh, controversially also, but not contradictory, uh, also associated with the APPs are protease inhibitors. Okay, so now let's go to a paper published in Clinical Experimental Immunology in 2015. This is the paper I edited on last time, uh, yesterday, in fact, on about chemistry. We were talking about the alpha 1 antitrypsin, also known as AAT. Uh, And I'm not sorry for all the acronyms. That's just the way it works in biochemistry. And it basically, this particular alpha-1 antitrypsin, trypsin is a protease, um, is considered an anti-inflammatory agent. That is the protease inhibitor is an anti-inflammatory agent. It does it primarily just by binding and catalytically inhibiting trypsin, which is the protease. Now, it also will inhibit a host of other potentially inflammatory neutrophil enzymes. Those include things like elastase, and casepsin G, and I told you this last time, also proteinase 3. I told you that uh, AAT deficiency presents clinically as a lack of control over the pro-inflammatory response. The major one here that people have looked at is interleukin-1-beta, which is a very powerful pro-inflammatory cytokine. Uh, interleukin 6 TNF-alpha, which does multiple scores of activity, not just immune responses, and interleukin-8. All of those are uh, powerfully pro-inflammatory, and it seems like AAT, if it's deficient uh, in cells or in tissues, means that there's a lack of control over that uh, pro-inflammatory leading to a hyper-inflammatory, hyper-immune response due to those uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines. So... Um, AAT does not block dendritic cell activities, which you could argue is a pro-inflammatory uh, on-the-way system, but rather it diverts dendritic cells towards what's called a tolerogenic profile. And in that way, it does not promote viral or tumor susceptibilities, okay? And that may suggest that essential natural killer cells responses, it still remain intact. Remember, those are natural killer cells, are cells that are part of the innate immune response. So it's not not the cytotoxic T lymphocytes. These are natural killer cells. They're kind of like in between innate cells and um, lymphocytes. Anyway, AAT doesn't stunt the B lymphocyte responses. So that's production of course of antibodies but it does limit antibody isotopes so that it, it controls the amount of recombination that can occur. So the isotope sw- isotype switching uh, and the production of the antibody is limited. So that's probably because of its activity on how proteases, once the protein is made can finally tailor because of uh, glycoprotein synthesis at the endoplasmic reticulum, the final product that turns out to be perhaps the secreted IgG, which is then rendered as the antibody, Which is dealing with whatever the foreign agent is. So um, in general, though, even though um, AAT, remember this is the alpha-1 antitrypsin, it it doesn't really um, make a human susceptible to bacterial infections. In fact, it doesn't seem to occur occur that way at all, Um, because even in uh, Petri dishes, you don't see it responding that way when you're using cell culture. So AAT does inhibit the inflammatory cytokine release, but it also promotes a greater level of inflammatory-driven anti-inflammatory agents, which then work downstream. So it's kind of like a big feedback loop, right? A negative feedback loop. So you can say that this particular um, protease inhibitor Um, works on outcomes where an elevated AAT level doesn't overlap with other anti-inflammatory processes or agents. So you don't really get immunosuppression due this way. You get immunoregulation. And sometimes that can look quite different than what you might initially have considered because of the the fact that you're dealing with serine proteases and the inhibition thereof. So uh, if we look at AAT, uh, there are multiple things we can discuss. There's inhibition of serine proteases. And what that does is it can interfere with the activation of immune-related protease receptors. Those are called PARs, okay? There's also a direct binding of AAT to interleukin-8, okay? That's a cytokine IL-8. And when it does that, it interferes with that neutrophil recruitment. That's all at the innate immune response level. AAT can also be involved in the inhibition of an, a protein called ADAM, metalloproteinase domain 17, or ADAM17. And it interferes with the release of tumor necrosis factor alpha from the neutrophil from that system. It also is involved in binding to TNF receptors at high concentrations, and when it does that, it interferes with TNF-alpha-induced pathways, which are generally pro-inflammatory, of course. Uh, AAT, right, the alpha antitrypsin, upregulation of IL-10 release by multiple cell types is also part of its activity. IL-10, remember, is an anti-inflammatory cytokine. So it's, it's involved in upregulation of IL-10 release, AAT is, by multiple cell types and exerts this anti-inflammatory environment, sometimes uh, uh, more generously than we might want, for example, in a tumor microenvironment. And so that's the way alpha-1 antitrypsin can function to decrease inflammation, sometimes in tissue beds and in floral situations where we would want it not to be um AAT, upregulation of IL-interleukin-1-RA, uh, which I'm going to mention what that is in a minute. It's a very curious protein. Uh, and that will interfere with the interleukin-1 pathway. Now, I told you the interleukin-1 pathway is a very, very dominant pro-inflammatory cytokine pathway. So AAT also is involved in the release of pro interleukin-1-beta, that's a subform of interleukin, from necrotic cells, and that results in active interleukin-1-beta upon engagement with serine proteases. So see, even though it's a serine protease inhibitor, the AAT can allow the release of IL-1-beta from dying cells, those are necrotic cells, and therefore it can enhance IL-1-beta engagement with serine proteases, And that's important because that's how interleukin-1-beta becomes fully active. So in that instance, it almost sounds as a contradiction, but it's not because the long-term effect of of any of these molecules, the valency, if it's up or down, if you want to look at valency like that, is really relative to what happens downstream from the initial event, right? And then the final downstream event could still be anti-inflammatory depending on the subsequent utilization of even a pro-inflammatory cytokine. The chronic cells contribute potent adjuvants sometimes to immune systems. So there's a protein called GP96 that chaperones antigens and ultimately then binds them to another protein on the membrane surface called CD91. All of that promotes their processing and loading to the very important major histocompatibility complex, MHC, also known as HLA in humans, uh, and that's the MHC class 1, okay? So AAT is involved in that, right? Um, And, in in fact, it's necessary to help generate the matrix compatibility complex presentation of antigens. So AAT was shown to both bind to GP96, but in this instance, when it binds to GP96, that protein associated with the MHC complex, it neutralizes its inflammatory activity, okay? That's because it alters its association with the other membrane protein, CD91. So there you can see ultimately it is, it is preventing moving from the innate immune response because that's where MHC is going to basically function at the T cell receptor mediated responses uh, um, working either with Th1 or Th2 uh, lymphocytes ultimately then induce an activation of T-cells, triggering the TCR. The TCR then going ahead and mobilizing their own pro-inflammatory cytokines and then uh, recruiting and activating B-cells and generating antibody production. Here's a paper that's going to explain about that IL-1RA. Now, that is the interleukin-1 receptor antagonist. And that is a natural antagonist and it blocks the binding of the pro-inflammatory cytokine, uh, interleukin-1. And I just told you, AAT helps to regulate the movement of interleukin-1 receptor antagonist to block interleukin-1 binding to its receptor. So this interleukin-1 um, was discovered by looking at human interstitial collagenase That enzyme later was called uh, matrix metalloproteinase 1. And this was in a human synovial cell background in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, which you know is an autoimmune disease. This led to a whole unraveling of the link between matrix degradation, extracellular matrix degradation, and the biological function of these inflammatory molecules like uh, interleukin-1 that are produced in immune cells and also, as I said, in epithelial cells. It's found that the main cellular source of both the interstitial collagenase, which, as I said, is actually a matrix metalloproteinase, or MMP, and indeed prostaglandin E2, which is a pro-inflammatory at the level of autochoid hormone oxygenated fatty acid, prostaglandin E2, all that going down in synovial tissue, there were inherent stellate fibroblast-like cells, also known as ASCs, and they are also those are also called type B fibroblasts, by the way, and that's where all of this occurs. So, described as a secreted product of monocytes and neutrophils, this this discovery of interleukin one then allowed for the discovery of interleukin one alpha, and interleukin one beta. These are all involved in this proteolytically processed initial interleukin 1 and at present the interleukin 1 family comprises the actually 11 members so you have one alpha 1 beta then you have the uh, the, the antagonist that's a, another component of it as well as interleukin 18 interleukin 33 and then there are four different isoforms of interleukin 36 okay alpha beta gamma. And, uh, and the interleukin-6 receptor antagonist, which is an IL-36RA. There's also interleukin-37. And so the interleukin-1 family members, which is, if you count them up, there's at least 10 right now, are all involved in being activated by caspase, which itself is a protease. So the caspase-1 independent processes that control neutrophil proteases, is where the interleukin-1 receptor antagonist functions with the alpha-1 antitrypsin to regulate that suppression of the immune response. So, all right. Now, I told you that this is reminds me of the fact that when we were talking about PEDF, that that was a serpent structurally, right? Remember, a serine proteinase inhibitor but the PEDF didn't seem to work like a serpent. Here we have a true serpent, this antitrypsin molecule, alpha-1 antitrypsin, AAT, but it does uh, so many different mechanisms in the cell that it's not always acting as a protease. It's acting more as a conjoiner of other protein activities, all of which are related to the immune response, indeed and frankly, but not necessarily associated with this protease inhibition um, activity motifs, right? So I want you to recall that old PEDF story we talked about before, because that was really critical in our discussion about um, the two cancers, uh, cell carcinoma and PDAC, right? And remember, depending on where PEDF showed up, it could inhibit adipogenesis and angiogenesis, for example, extracellularly, but intracellular PEDF was involved in the regulation, remember, of acetylcholine carboxylase and malonylcholine decarboxylase, ultimately resulting in an increase in fatty acid accumulation, which then caused a negative effect on the tumor. In fact, the tumor was allowed to become, uh, to stay with a rampant aerobic glycolytic pathway because it couldn't cause beta oxidation of those fatty acids because of the blockage of utilization via the CPT1 pathway, remember? So here you were well into AMP kinase mediated activities, uh, so transcriptional control over biofuel and bioenergetics related to that PEDF, right? So I'm just giving you that as another example of how these protease inhibitors, even though they all have the same structural motif at the protein level, um, they have a plethora of functions which are carrying out multiple layers of control over um, acute phase responses, as well as, in general, just the stress response and the mediation of immune activity. So aside from inhibiting inflammatory cytokine release, AAT indeed increases directly interleukin-1-RA. Remember, that's the receptor antagonist it also directly helps right, uh, cause the expression of interleukin-10, which is an anti-inflammatory cytokine. Now, that happens only when there's an underlying inflammatory trigger that's present. So you can see this is one huge feedback, negative feedback loop, right? That's what I'm trying to explain to you here. So there's a negative feedback loop between interleukin-1 inducing AAT and AAT-driven interleukin-1-RA, which blocks interleukin-1 activity. So of interest here is that interleukin-1-RA, now remember that's going to be the receptor antagonist, the promoter for that gene requires the binding of the nuclear factor kappa, -kappa NF-kappa-B family member, p 65. Now this is well in the transcriptional control and something that I will forgive you if you don't remember, or you don't know, but this is well to control transcriptional control of genes that you see in innate and in acquired immune cell uh, lineages okay. So one might find reports of how the Alpha1 antitrypsin blocking NF kappa B nuclear translocation. And that conflicts with its ability to induce, then, the interleukin-1-RA. However, when you look at other papers, it's reported that there's a unique P65. So that's a family member of the NF-kappa-B transcription family. A unique form, right? Where the cellular distribution pattern and possible covalent modifications in the presence of AAT will allow inflammation-driven P65-mediated interleukin 1RA transcriptional induction without a a consequent NF-kappa-B-related inflammatory gene activation. So you see, here it's working on both sides of the fence, right? It's regulating anti-inflammatory responses and it's neutral on the pro-inflammatory, even though it's working through a pro-inflammatory transcription factor, NF-kappa B. So you don't know this until you dig way down into the molecularity by doing really careful research. Right? And that's how we learn all of these aspects of these really fascinating proteases and their inhibitor counterparts. So enter look at 110 induction by AAT, Share some very close similarities with interleukin-1-RI induction by AAT, and that typically a resting cell would be uh, completely unresponsive to added AAT. Interleukin-10 induction is consistent with a rise in cyclic AMP levels by, again, yep, the alpha-1 antitrypsin. So interleukin-10 will then also induce on its own the interleukin-1-RA, remember that the inhibitor of interleukin reception. So the systemic rise overall in the alpha-1 antitrypsin levels during acute phase response highlights in in total, right, its significance as an angiogenesis and wound healing modulator. It agrees with reports of antiviral and even bacterial burden-reducing activities that are very much sought after during, uh, let's say, a pathogen-related systemic inflammatory flare, or even a non-pathogenic systemic inflammatory flare, which you might uh, encounter, for example, in the obesogenic type 2 diabetic stages. So it's not unexpected. Sterile immune responses are highly responsive to AAT therapy including lung and renal ischemia and reperfusion injury-related responses, because there you're dealing not with any other precluding immune response related to a foreign antigen, okay? This is directly related to um, having ischemia reperfusion, so that's why they call it a sterile response. But interestingly, both lung and renal epithelial cells produce directly this AAT, during inflammatory conditions. So this, is, this regulates inflammation without infection, basically what I'm saying. So this gets us finally through the gene ontology enrichment analysis of the pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma upregulated genes. And uh, we finally get here. And what I want to tell you is that the molecular function of the upregulated genes are involved in extracellular matrix structural constituents that close aminoglycan binding, receptor ligand binding, cell adhesion, uh, extracellular matrix structural constituent tensile strength, collagen binding, heparin binding, uh, peptidase regulatory activity. Uh, The cellular component of all of that, upregulated genes you find in PDAC, are collagen-containing extracellular matrix and collagen matrix component um, within those subcellular uh, systems. And what happens biologically in terms of pro- the process itself, you get a reorganization of the extracellular matrix. You get a structural reorganization as well as a functional. You get the formation of a primary germ layer. You get a cell substrate adhesion motif. You get leukocyte migration. Um, these are all related to the upregulated genes in PDAC, Okay. So the downregulated ones are also very interesting. Serine type endoproteases are downregulated. Serine type peptidase activity are down regulated. Serine hydrolase activity, downregulated. Carboxylic acid hydrolase activity, downregulated in PDAC. Okay. So you get the idea that when you look at the final activity, you know, like that, that PDAC study, that it was the uh, 2019 paper. They're looking at these gene products and saying, ah, this is interesting. We think we know a lot about what's going on, metastasis, angiogenesis, um, you know, the the ability for a tumor to grow and divide. These are all proteins we would expect to go up or go down. But I just told you, because you are listening to Authentic Biochemistry, that the real regulation is how these proteases are processed and the processing of the proteases, how they function to deal with the cytokine production, which then interact with their receptors that can induce a full-blown inflammatory response, right? That ultimately, if it's triggered and then canceled because of such things as a, an anti-alpha-1 antitrypsin, that can serve tumorogenesis. But in the final analysis, if you look at just the static, static data, you just look at the genes that are involved, you would totally miss all of the interesting sub-biochemical processes that are occurring. And that's where you need to go when you need to know about designing, for example, pharmacotherapies. So we're going to end there now because my time is up. And I'm going to tell you that we're going to continue this talk because I'm going to tell you something really exciting in segment number, I think that'll be four, and that's coming right up. So Dr. Dan Guerra saying from Authentic Biochemistry... Bye for now.